Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are going to offer some of the highlights and some of our big takeaways from the production of this year's 2021 Blister Winter Buyer's Guide. So we will talk about some of our best of award winners, whether we think overall this 2021 crop of ski gear represents a positive step forward or a rather head-scratching step backward for the industry. And we'll also talk about a number of standout products that we basically just felt like talking about along the way. And then from there, we are going to turn to some of the many questions that you all submitted, and there were some really good ones in there. So well done, all of you. Good job in helping to make this a really interesting episode. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Backcountry Essentials, which is located in Bellingham, Washington. Backcountry Essentials is consistently voted the best of Bellingham ski shop by the Bellingham community. The shop has been family owned since 2006. They offer expert boot fitting and great ski tuning. They also host seminars and workshops and are just really committed to helping their customers enjoy the outdoors to the fullest. And they also have one of the best beer fridges of any outdoor shop in the Pacific Northwest. So there's that. Furthermore, if you're planning a trip to the Pacific Northwest, the Backcountry Essential staff is happy to recommend local hiking or biking trails, guide services, restaurants, parks, or breweries. And their website is a great resource for planning an adventure in the area. So if you're in the Bellingham area, stop in and tell them we sent you. And if you can't make it into the shop, just head over to their website. It's backcountryessentials.net to shop their full line of gear and learn more about their favorite activities and spots around Bellingham. That's backcountryessentials.net. Okay, and now let's get to my conversation with everybody's favorite managing editor, Luke Kappa. Well, Luke Kappa, here we are. It's our annual buyer's guide episode, plus, I guess, your questions. We got a ton of questions in this time, so we're going to do our best to get through a lot of them. Two points I want to make. First of all, we just got a knock on the door uh, right when we hit the record button, and someone just hand-delivered some weird hippie soap or something for you which is amazing. Are you like, you're washing yourself now or your hair? I've always washed my body. I have not used shampoo for a while. And yeah, I ordered some like Castile soap, which is apparently like better than regular soap. And you can only get it delivered if you order like 10 of them. So I'll be set on soap for like a decade, I think. In what ways is it better? Uh, it's like, I think most soaps you buy these days have a detergent, which I still don't really get how that's different from soap, but like strips a lot of oil away. I don't know. Someone who knows about skincare is going to just be like, Luke, you're a total idiot. That's not what it does. But 
it does seem to be, I mean, the company, I think it's pronounced Sapo Hill, places an emphasis on like not packaging in plastic, making an effort towards being less environmentally harmful. Um, but yeah, I literally just like, I saw it in Clark's in Crested Butte, bought one and then bought a lot more and it got delivered. And they were very nice. They called me, they said none of the addresses in Crested Butte would work um, <laughs> and like made sure, like really tried to get me that soap and now it's here somehow. You went for the most expensive elite. We will hand deliver it, knock on Blister headquarters door yeah, right specified. after you hit the record button for a podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, I can't wait to hear your further review of the soap. Yeah. I mean, it's soap. I've already used it. Oh, you have? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I already have one of them. All right. All right. The other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, we're both alive. I feel like maybe that means we're slipping. Like we're not working as hard on the guide as we used to. Like if we were really working harder every year, wouldn't we be dead? Yeah. I mean... Physically, I don't think being in front of a computer for hours on end will literally kill you. I think it has side effects, okay, mostly mental, that could potentially kill you. But yeah, okay, so <laughs> let's hope that doesn't happen. Like, so you don't think though the fact that we survived the guide means that we're slacking? No, I think okay. the fact that we are still describing it as surviving and not yay, we're done with the guide. Yeah kind of sums up okay how it is all right and we have been we there's been there was a lot of conversations this year for the like last i don't know six weeks of the guide where it just kind of dials up in intensity every week there have been a lot of conversations about we're going to get more help in here we'll be talking about that when we get to some of your questions in this episode but anyway congratulations on surviving the guide then assuming it means that you weren't slacking, you know, or, or that we only got like your 8.9 effort as opposed to like your 10 out of 10 effort. Mm-hmm. Well, I've only heard about one typo, I think. I know. So far, That's... which terrifies me. Yeah, as it should. And I just like, I realized the other day, like when I first started working on the guide, like getting the hard copy was like, is like my baby. And now I finally came up with a good analogy for it. Seeing the hard copy in person is like, like everyone has that one type of alcohol that they got really, really drunk on and like can never ever drink again and immediately makes them think of the time when they blacked out on it. That's me seeing the print or really any part of the guide. (laughs) Um, So yeah, (laughs) that's where we are now. Yeah. I mean, you know, but like we like to say around here, like sometimes it's not about you, right? It's not about us. No. So we are delighted that a lot of people really appreciate the guide and that makes us feel good. So mm-hmm. you are allowed to have that kind of visceral reaction. There's a there's a certain element, I think, of perfectionism that creates the like visceral reaction and seeing it. But I sure hope that the people out there who get their hands on it are like, this is real good. And I think it is. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. For them, it should be like a nice beer. For me, it's like, yeah, reminds me of Burnett's in college. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what do you want to talk about with respect to the guide? There's a lot to cover. There's 200 and whatever, eight pages of it. I think one thing we could start off with is... We have our best of section in the guide, which is the products that we personally think are just really good. Like 
for all of our other reviews, we're trying to focus on who is going to like this product. Yeah. The best of section is the products that we like. It's also a fairly small section and doesn't leave us a ton of room to expand. So every year there's always some skis that or some skis and products that just barely miss the cut. So one thing I like to go over each year is those that sometimes people wouldn't otherwise know were pretty close. And especially especially given last season and our testing being cut really short, there are a lot of products that we think have a lot of potential to yeah. be best of next year. Yeah. Several on my end, most notably two from J-Skis that we got pretty late in the spring. The Slacker is their first touring-oriented ski. And, I mean, it's it feels like a J-Ski. Like, all of J's, like, while we hate to make that generalization for a lot of brands, J-Skis, I think, are one where it kind of applies. It's got a round flex pattern. It carves well. It doesn't, it's not crazy stiff. And for a touring ski, it's not crazy light. But, I mean, just really intuitive and mostly for me, like, also very playful, which is rare in a touring ski. So that's one that I could see myself really getting along with. You've started to really like the phrase round flex pattern. This is something you like more than me. So I want to hear you define what you mean by round flex pattern. Just because I think some people listening to this won't really know. Okay. Because yeah. that's that's a term I never used. You started it. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you did. No, I didn't. You 100% started it. I never, I never used. I used symmetrical which is more intuitive, but you used round. No, this is not true. <laughs> or maybe it was a Lindahl thing. It's not me. Okay, whatever. Yeah, so anyway, you, you just... can go check my reviews, but I've, I've never, for whatever reason, while I love the concept of a quote-unquote round flex pattern, that is not the term I'd love to use to describe it. So you are on the spot. What do you mean by this term you keep using? You use this more and more. This, by the way, happens a lot behind the scenes at blister i call luke out for falling in love with certain terms and i do this myself i think we all do it mine is literally i have fallen in love with the term literally and using too many commas i love commas (laughs) and paragraph breaks i love paragraph (laughs) breaks and commas but anyway let's back up round flex pattern for those listening who may be curious what exactly do you mean essentially a ski that has tips that flex similarly to the tails so a more what we apparently know as an austrian flex pattern is when the shovels or tips are significantly softer than the tails essentially round like you think of the flex pattern like a circle and it's symmetrical or like a semicircle. i don't know Hmm. tips flex similarly to the tails which for me tends to make a ski that's more forgiving usually has a bigger sweet spot, usually doesn't require you to be pressuring the shovels all the time to get it to perform well. Okay, fair. And again, to be clear, we're all pretty big fans of that more symmetrical flex pattern, more consistent flex pattern. And what I've said for years is I don't really care how soft or stiff the ski is per se, but if you are going to give me a soft front half of the ski, don't go gnarly stiff on the back end. I like I like consistency there because mm-hmm. I think it ends up in a big sweet spot. Okay, mm-hmm. we can carry on. I just, it's good to define terms. All right. Um, especially when they're not mine. Next ski that also has a round flex pattern, uh, the J-Ski's Hot Shot, which is on the other end of the spectrum. The slacker's really light or pretty light. Hot Shot is very heavy, um, but 
still has a good amount of rocker, still has uh, those tails that aren't super, super stiff. And I mean, mostly I'm really excited to ski it in really bad conditions to see just how good its suspension and is and how damp it feels because there are not many skis out there that are that heavy with a metal laminate that are also not super super directional traditional skis so yeah those are my two from j skis any on your end yeah the blizzard cochise 106 for sure was a big fan of that ski this past season had a couple very memorable days on the mountain on those that's got i think a real shot at a best of uh for next year and also the new blizzard bonafide in my flash review of that ski which if you're a blister member you can read that people know like if we go back to previous versions of the bonafide i called that ski perfect for what it was then there was a change to the ski i still thought it was a good ski but it lost a bit of precision And so I personally just wasn't as excited about that. And then this new one, I'm back to being like, holy cow. So honestly, Blizzard's got two for me where, and that's, that's just really exciting. I mean, especially I think, well, they're both exciting, but to have that Cochise back in a spot, you know, that it occupied for such a long time where we were like for the right skier is a hell of a good time on the mountain. So yeah, I'll go. Those are my two from Blizzard. Cool. Closing it out, the Vocal Revolt 104. Um, we actually got a, one of the questions was about this. That's another ski that we got very late, but I really like it so far. And I really, really liked the one, the Revolt 121. But something interesting I've noticed with actually several of the Vocal skis we currently have is I started looking at their core profiles, so like how thick this ski is. And an interesting thing with everything from the Revolt 104 to the Blaze 106, which is a lightweight touring ski, which is also very good, to even like the Mantra 102, they don't have a spot where they get drastically thicker in the core profile. A lot of skis like have really thin tips and then thick cambered sections. So what that translates to is really soft tips and really stiff underfoot. But I think maybe one of the reasons I've been getting along with every vocal ski I've skied in the past two years is that like super smooth transition and a lack of a like there, you can bend the front of the ski and on the revolt, you can bend the back of the ski too. And not just the very ends of it. Um, anyways, just something kind of curious that I noticed, um, regarding the revolt 104 in particular, it's fairly lightweight, but the suspension feels nice for what it is so far. And it has like my favorite type of rocker profile where the rocker lines are super deep, but they don't rise abruptly. So once you lay it over, you can actually engage most of the ski on edge. So anyways, excited about that. And then also, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't say it, but the Katana 108, the vocal Katana 108 is. You're surprised I didn't mention it for a potential best of. Yeah. Okay, go. Because, I mean, like we said, we got that one. Like, you got to spend time on the Cochise. Um, We got the Katana really late, but mostly I mention it because of, despite not being in really in my wheelhouse, like, I like mostly playful skis. The Mantra 102, I think, is a phenomenal ski. Amen. And we did give it a best up this year after spending more time on it. 
and the katana 108 looks really similar so it just makes me think it's probably gonna be really good that monster 102 is so freaking good I can't in my mind get around. By the way, I think the Mantra M5 is really good. It's different, especially in that, again, we've only been able so far, and I hope we can change that this year. We've only skied the M5 in a 177 length, whereas we skied the Mantra 102 in a 184. So it's not a direct apples to apples, but that 102 is so good that I don't, if the, if the Katana 108, if we end up feeling like, oh my God, the wider one is also like mind blowing. They're just rolling strikes is what they're doing. Yeah. It's also curious to me like that they, t- they made it a 108, um, that the gaps are pretty tight uh-huh. and like the M5, like it's, it's 96 underfoot, I believe. And I guess it features their traditional like single radius design and the Montrono 2 and the Katana 108 get their triple radius design, which makes people get freaked out because it says it has a 19 meter radius and it's not really a 19 meter radius. But anyway, um, yeah, given how similar the 108 and the 102 look, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, um, like who we think should be on one over the other. Yep. Kind of on a related note, but we labeled this topic as like sleeper skis, skis that maybe don't get as much attention. Um, Maybe they're not super flashy in one particular regard, but that we think a lot of people should be considering. And one that you ended up spending more time on this year was the Armada Tracer 108. First of all, wonderful introduction to this section. You said exactly like... I don't know, we might find ourselves really excited or talking a lot about a particular ski, you know, so on and so forth. And when you're going back over a buyer's guide like this, certain skis will come to mind. And and it's sometimes I think about, was there a good ski that somehow maybe we didn't talk about enough that would work really well for a lot of different people? And so that's kind of what motivated this section or this topic. And yeah, I did end up spending a lot of days out on that Armada 108, which is usually a signal that I kind of like the ski because otherwise I'm not going to spend many days on it. And I think we've already kind of given the punchline. Like for somebody who just isn't really sure and isn't really specific about what they want in either a 50-50 ski or in a touring ski, I do think it's worthwhile for us to be able to kind of throw out that pretty safe choice, right? And it's funny, like I think there are analogies too. If you want to go to coffee or whiskey or wine, it's like a lot of people are just going to get along well with one of these. That's kind of my answer to the Armada Trace 108. It doesn't leap out about all these things that it is, you know, and I think we often do grab on or latch on to those things where a ski is really stand out in a specific characteristic. That's not the Armada, but that's kind of also why who is going to get on that ski and utterly hate it. Kind of hard to say, unless you're one of those people who has an extremely specific performance envelope. But if that's you, then frankly, picking out skis should be pretty easy, right? So... Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. And like, especially in the guide where we're limited to like, we're usually trying to stick to 165 words, which like is 
someone asked about the hardest part about the guide yeah cutting down blurbs to that size is really challenging um but yeah i spent like for skis like the tracer 108 and like the, some of the others we're about to talk about like it's easy if a ski like the dina star m pro 118 super loose and really yep. damp really easy to write about yep. and grab people's attention yep but skis like the tracer it's like no it's not gonna like wow you when like it's not gonna float the best or like be super energetic but for a lot of people that's you want predictability not just like a ski that's really good at one thing um yeah i'm gonna give myself credit i'm super good at cutting down blurbs like another behind the scenes take is like luke will often be like can you figure out how to cut seven words out of this paragraph? And I'm like, I got you, Luke. I'm like a word cutting ninja. No? Well, sometimes I have to replace some words because <laughs> all of a sudden when we're doing these at like 2 a.m., I'm like, yeah, you cut 10 words, but this does this isn't English anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm not quite quite there. I'll keep working on it. You just highlight a sentence and hit delete and you're like, I'm so good at this. <laughs> Um, that's that's actually one of the fun parts though is i often get these texts and it's like if you can pull four words out of this or something mm -hmm. and i'm like those are fun like i don't do crossword puzzles <laughs> that's like my version of the crossword yeah. puzzle yeah yeah it's just a whole it's just a blast putting this thing together <laughs> especially uh, at 2 a.m yeah on my end um this is kind of both a ski that i don't think should be slept on and that has a lot of potential the more like we we got time on it starting in the spring is the new majesty super wolf um i mean the long story short of my review was that i would be equally content skiing that or the solomon mountain explorer 95 and that solomon mountain explorer 95 is one of the best skis i've ever skied yeah. for what it is yeah so that's extremely high praise yeah. for the super wolf um and yeah, basically like folks out there who want a like low 90s underfoot touring ski that doesn't suck when you ski, it's really good. It's not hooky. It's damp for its weight. It's still quite light and like much more versatile than most skis I've used that narrow. So all in all, a very, very good ski and a bit of a surprise, honestly. We need to talk about the Solomon QST 99 because... While like, this is not my personal favorite ski, you know, in the world, I think it is so good. I think a ton of people should be on this ski. And, you know, while it doesn't have like the biggest, flashiest, coolest looking graphic or something in the world, in my opinion, it's just so good. And, uh, you know, I think I made this statement maybe on a previous Gear 30 podcast where, you know, like for some years we'd see a ton of people in lift lines on like a Razi Soul 7 or something. All those people should go beyond a QST 99 now. And if we saw that's a ski, I hope when I roll up into a ski line at whatever ski area in the world, if I saw a ton of those on people's feet, I'd be like, yep you're going to have a good day out here. Because one of the things that b blows my mind and I hate is how often we're kind of looking at skis in the ski line and it sort of becomes a bit clear, like 
that ski's probably not doing you any favors today, you know? And, uh, and maybe the highest praise we can offer that QST 99. Um, and I don't know if I said this first, I think maybe you did. I don't want to give you credit. This is so good. The point is so good. I don't want to give you yeah, credit. I, if, I was the one who okay, said it. We'll give you credit. <laughs> I guess it was Luke who was like, you know, that QST 99 is kind of now the new Nordica Enforcer 100. And as many of you know, we have been just rolling best of awards to that Nordica Enforcer 100 for I don't even know how many years in a row now. It was four or five. Four or five. Nordica made a decision to change the Enforcer this year. Their prerogative. But it is a heavier ski now. It is a burlier ski. It is less forgiving. It is a bit more game on. And frankly, if it was me, I would not have changed that ski. I, I feel like Nordica did actually kind of shrink the performance envelope of the Enforcer 100. It's not to say it's a bad ski. I just think you kind of need to be a better skier now and a stronger skier now. And I'm kind of like, you had a ski that we used to say for years, I would not hesitate to put a heavier beginner, like literally has never skied before. I would put them on that Nordica 100 and I think very good skiers can go have a good time on that ski. And maybe some of those people would want a bit more ski or something, but still massive, massive envelope. That's the QST 99 now. And well, now if I'm asked, okay, well, if the Nordic Enforcer 100 just went a bit more to the like best saved for advanced and expert skiers, that QST 99 is who I would put a... I've never been on skis before and I'm, you know, I've got a bit of weight, you know, I don't know, call it 175, 175 pounds and heavier. And Mike freaking Douglas loves that ski. In case anybody's worried that it sounds like we're just talking about some ski for newbies here, right? And uh, I loved it too. It was in a some Cody Townsend post the other day where Cody was talking up the QST 118. And I saw that that Mike chimed in and was like, nah, don't worry about it. Just, just get the QST 99. And I was like, right on there, Mike. So anyway, I'm done. That's what I have to say about the QST 99. Okay. Well, I don't have much to add. It's a really good ski. And I guess the only thing I would say is that I would recommend the QST 106 to almost as many skiers. The new version? Yeah. Okay. I think it's very like good suspension, lets you ski it hard, but not demanding. So yeah. That's all I'd add on that. The other ski that like, as I'm talking to a ton of Blister members, like especially this fall, in addition to the QSTs, the other ski that keeps coming up is the Dina Star Menace 98. And that ski is really good. And I think Dina Star is doing themselves a disservice by marketing it as a freestyle ski because it comes with a recommended mount point of around minus seven from centimeter or from center. And I mean, it also includes mount points up to like minus two, I think. But a lot of people see the twin tip on it, think it's park ski. I'm not interested in park skiing. I would encourage anyone who's looking for a all mountain ski that carves really well, is quite damp, can be pushed hard, but also has a forgiving flex pattern. Like the, the Menace 98 should be on your list and don't get scared by its twin tip. But also 
like people who do have a freestyle background and want something that they can drive through the shovels and that is pretty damp and stable should also check it out finally on this section the white dot ultim 104 and 114 were some of the skis i really really enjoyed last season basically they remind me of the moment wildcat and moment wildcat 108 and if you look at the shapes um they're pretty similar so are the flex patterns but basically the altums i i think are a little bit better for people who want something that carves a little bit better they have more of that low slung rocker profile where the whereas the wildcat skis kind of rise fairly abruptly but in the end i was like pretty content skiing either of them either the wildcats or the altums and basically loved each of them for the same reasons so and as people know at least for me like those wildcats are some of my favorite skis so again high praise um this time to white dot are there any other sort of overarching takeaways you had you know kind of looking at all of the current skis on the market now because I, I think it's maybe kind of interesting to think about like, all right, well, we've got the whole 2021 batch of stuff. Are we psyched on it? Are we disappointed in it? Is there a trend where we're like, that's a good trend or that sucks? Like two years ago, like we liked what the entire market kind of collectively looked like better. What are your thoughts? I would say I'm liking the trends. Um, I mean, as we noted all the way back in outdoor retailer, like we saw several companies come out with skis that were not very light and were built with like stability and variable yeah. conditions in mind. And I think most notably, this was when we're looking at our all mountain, more stable section and our all mountain chargers sections, yeah. chargers, like, first of all, like the Katana name came back yeah. and the pro, the Dinastar pro rider is now essentially back as the M pro one Oh five. And in like our all mountain more stable section in like the past two years, like a lot of the skis were like really light and especially in like the damping and suspension category, there were a lot of skis in there that were not very good. But now this year we were like, man, like this, the middle of this spectrum is really difficult to like suss out the individual differences, like one ski right next to each other. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good trend. Like there's still plenty of lightweight skis out there, but it's nice to have some like diversity in the ski market. Yeah, and what I totally agree. And what I think is interesting is I think we are seeing a number of companies put the weight back into a number of their inbound skis. But I also think that if you look at the range of backcountry touring skis out there, they are lighter than they used to be. Like weights are coming down, I think. And, and in terms of like the, the weights of skis that we think actually ski well, I do think that bar, like it used to be for me, if it's less than 2000 grams, I probably am not going to want to be on that thing. And now I can name quite a few skis under 2000 grams that I think hold up really well to fairly hard skiing in the backcountry. I guess my point here is it's kind of like good job ski industry in the sense of like put weight back into inbound skis when people are going to be riding freaking chairlifts, but where we're going to be walking up a mountain, I think they've done a good job of figuring out how to get a bit lighter and in some cases quite a bit lighter while, while improving that downhill performance. So, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm mostly just glad that like company most companies have realized that a tour the best touring ski in the world isn't the stiffest and lightest. Yeah, like, dumbest trend ever. Don't like just putting ten layers of carbon fiber wrapped around a Polonia core isn't the recipe for success. No. Which apparently everyone thought it was like five or six years ago. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Ski industry is looking good. Let's stay on that point because you never want to pass up an opportunity to leave a good rant on the table. Light and stiff is the stupidest thing in the world, whether it's an inbound ski or a backcountry touring ski. It is a shitty combination. And if you want to make a ski with the world's worst suspension, you should go that route. And I seriously, like, we've been doing this for a lot of years now. And like, you're just going to make for a really gross, terrible feeling ride. So you, I'm saying this because you said backcountry skis should not be made really light and really stiff, but no ski should. So again, we've been banging that drum for a while, but we needed to get at least one drum beat in, you know, because otherwise it wouldn't be blister. Is that it? That's all we have to say about the buyer's guide? What was the biggest argument you and I had about the guide this year? I don't remember like a... remember anything. Like I said, I black out every year. Um, there's definitely a point in the guide process, especially late in it, where if you have a really strong opinion about something and I like kind of disagree with you, I'll just be like, yeah, whatever, sure. <laughs> I appreciate your, your... In those moments, you realize it is probably just good to go with the wiser more sound mostly i just want to get it done (laughs) don't worry ladies and gentlemen i'm usually right so it's all good yeah okay all right so for reference we got a ton of questions on instagram and for some reason either i'm an idiot or instagram still doesn't have a way to export those questions to some easily readable document so i was trying to type them onto a laptop and i definitely made some spelling errors and I'm definitely going to mispronounce a lot of these usernames. So apologies in in advance for that. It's nothing personal. I'm probably going to do it to everyone else. With that said, uh, we're going to try and go over some of the questions we got and we will likely be saving several of these for the future. Um, To start off, let's go with from mediocre ski memes. What's the worst ski you have ever been on? Full stop, no cheating. I mean... The worst ski or skis I've ever been on, no question, it's when we've gotten a ski with an utterly screwed up tune, right? And it's not one company that has done that. Several brands have done that, like forgotten to like bevel the edge. So that's been the most terrifying experiences for sure. And that's a solvable problem, right? Other than that, you know, just keeping it real and keeping it honest. There was a, it may have been when Amplid came out with one of their first skis. It's like, if you have a sense of what I like in a ski, this was literally (laughs) the the exact opposite on every single point. You couldn't have come up with a ski where like on paper and in theory, I would have been more against everything about its existence. I'm not sure we ever reviewed that ski because I, I it was like maybe one of the only times I've just been like, I'm not going to put words. I'm not going to figure this thing out. So apologies, but like of the, I don't know, 
thousands of skis we've been on, that was the one instance where I was like, absolutely not. I don't remember the name of it. That's where I called the alter ego. Oh, it was like super fat shovel, really tight radius, really soft, really light, heavily tapered tip, but like flat tail and a weird mount point and a ton of camber underfoot. It was everything made no sense. Yeah. I think it was from like six or seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was the worst ski I've ever been on. Yeah. On my end, I feel like the good news is no single ski jumped to mind. Um, it's rare that I get on a ski and I'm just like, this will never, ever work for anyone. Um, I have like, like you said, I've been on skis that were railed or like super edge high. And one of those actually was, well, it wasn't edge high. It was just wildly sharp was the Fisher Ranger 102 FR, which is one of my all-time favorite skis now. But the first time I got it, I was like, I can't turn. Um, It was scary. And it was like a basin late in the season where you all get funneled onto one run that feels like it was groomed by a snowcat with hydraulics or something because all of the groomed tracks are just like not the same level and just massive bumps. And anyways, but once I detuned the hell out of it it was great (laughs) but i think the only ski that really comes to mind is the the old version of the scott scrapper 105 um mostly because the first day i skied it it was combined with another really bad product but basically we like i I think i've told the story before we hiked up a couloir and skied in what was either really firm steep snow or really crusty grabby terrible challenging conditions and it would switch the moment you cross the shadow and i was on the scrapper it was my first day i had already detuned the tips and tails just by the look of it because it had no taper basically and then i was in the the original head core one boot um and basically thought i was going to die like i couldn't ski and i would either get too far over the front and fold the boot in half or i would get two back seat and the scrapper would just run away. But anyways, that was that was the only one that really came to mind. I want to get to another question that Mediocre Ski Memes asked us. If you had to pick between using only a Tele binding or a 2006 Speed Radical, which would you choose and why would you kill yourself? It's a little harsh, I but know. I would go Tele binding 100%. 100% me Never too. Never Tele skied, but I would like... Peep- People choose to do that all the time. Yep. Even in the resort. Yep. The only people I know who choose to ski on 2016 Fits are like super hardcore old ski touring dudes who I'm just like respect. Yep. But I am not as, I'm not as like, my values are not as strong. I need to have a better binding than yeah. that. That's funny. I, th- I wasn't sure if you were going to go the other way on that question. So basically we just said... We would both opt right now to go do a thing that we've never done as opposed to being in that 2006 radical. Yeah. Quite, quite a statement. We still, we got a telly. I mean, we've got to make the video. It's, I mean, I want the, the snow to pile up so that it's softer when I'm wiping out. Get you some knee pads. Yeah, I got to get me some knee pads. Okay. All right, let's, let's keep it moving. What, where are we going next? Cool. So, um, this is a really good question from, uh, apologies, 
Aquila Skates and or John underscore MC1. In the annual buyer's guide, there are so many men's ski sections and only one for women's skis. I feel like we miss out on some of the value of the men's ski categories and spectrums. Any plans to split out the ladies' skis into categories given that they range from frontside to powder? Yeah, this is definitely, this is something we've been considering in the past and basically that we're planning on implementing, especially in the digital guide next year. But in years prior, our women's skis section was even smaller. We think it is, I mean, I think it was like 36 skis this year, which is significantly larger than past years and something we're really thankful for from our our female reviewers. But yeah, basically the plan is to expand that and make the spectrums more useful in the future. The main, in addition to it being smaller in the past, the print guide page limits are a thing. And unfortunately, like, like including like our apparel section has gotten smaller in the print guide, especially because our guide is already over 200 pages and it's already incredibly expensive on our end to ship because of its weight and size and, and print to begin with. But anyways, yeah, we totally agree. We're working on that and we're hoping to make it even bigger than, than this past year, next year. And I'd also say that if, even even though we're grouping them into that one section, the work that our female reviewers does, I think outmatches any other buyer's guide, even if they do split them up into 90 underfoot and 105 underfoot. Agreed. So just a couple other points. One, I do think that we still have as many skis in our women's section as most other buyer's guides out there. So I don't, I don't actually know if we're first or not, but to reiterate your point, like I will go to the mat in terms of saying that what we've not you and me, but what our female reviewers have written about that stuff is far more valuable, I think, than what you're going to find elsewhere. And so we will continue to grow, you know, that side of things. The only other thing I do want to say, and we have talked about this in the past a bit, I personally, and other people don't have to be in my same position here, I just personally don't love the idea of women-specific skis. And I think, I know that is a question in the industry, in the ski industry, in the bike industry, in other industries, but I think in in the ski industry, unisex skis is what makes the most sense. And so I'm not that motivated to try to blow up this and and kind of perpetuate this women's women specific side of things when it comes to gear because I frankly think that's a I personally think that is a wrong way to look at this equipment I care a lot more about how aggressive of a skier you are what is your weight and frankly a lot of the women who've reviewed skis for us shred a lot freaking harder than a lot of guys out there. And, and I, I just think it's an outmoded old, old thing that um, if I got to have a say in terms of where the ski industry heads over the next five to 10 years, I would like to see a proliferation of a more of a unisex build some skis that are length appropriate for people of different heights or weights or whatever, and then put some different cool top sheets on it. And I'll take the pink one and the women can have the black one or whatever. Like that's just my take on that. On a related note, like Fisher did that with at least the Ranger 102 FR. I think they did it for the 94 FR yep. where all they did was it's the same ski, but it's available in lengths from like, I want to say like maybe 
low 150s all the way up to a 191. Yep. And then they offer it in a blue top sheet and a pink top sheet that looks amazing. Amazing. We'll take the pink one. For all yeah. the women who are like, I don't want it pink, we'll take the pink. Yeah. Pink looks sick. I don't really know what their position is on the other skis in their line. They might just be unisex, but they're not offering them in different colors. But mostly I'm I'm curious to see how that pans out. And then like, like Faction or a lot of companies now just do like different top sheets, shorter lengths. Yeah. Anyways, I... And last thing to say maybe, so... You know, for this person asking a very good question, the other thing that we would want to say is women should not limit themselves to only looking at the women's skis section. And we say that in the class overview, the introduction to that section. Conversely, dudes that are of the right size or, you know, aggressiveness or whatever should take a look in that section as well. So I'm just not at all going to the mat for like gender specific ski equipment or especially skis, right? If we get into ski boots and different last sizes and the rest, there's maybe a better case that can be made, but not, not for skis. Um, so anyway, that's our take. Where does the name blister come from? The name blister. I feel like I must have talked about this at some point, at somewhere. some point, but I don't really remember where basically before blister existed. And I was thinking of this company and what we would do. I was, I knew that when we launched, I wanted to launch doing ski equipment, snowboard equipment, mountain bike stuff and climbing stuff. And I remember sitting, I remember vividly like sitting in my office and I was like, what is the thing that kind of unifies those sports? And the night before I had been at the climbing gym and I was bouldering and I was like picking at a flapper on my hand. And then that next day, that morning, I had skinned a lap and then ridden bikes in the afternoon. And so I had just kind of come from a, you know, 24 hours done three different sports and I'm picking at this flapper on my hand and I had, was developing a blister on my heel from skinning and uh, on the mountain bike ride, my hands were getting pretty agitated from, you know, from the flapper from climbing. And I don't know, I just kind of liked at the time, one, I wanted a name that would be memorable. And I thought like, well, the people that are really like getting out there and going a lot, you end up with blisters and calluses a good bit at the time. I also really liked the connotation of like blisteringly honest because that was, if you couldn't tell by now, that was 100% the goal of what we would be doing. Again, if you come back to like, this thing didn't exist. And I very much like the connotation of, you know, this blister is this tiny little spot on your heel, typically, or hand or something. But, but every single step you take, you feel it. And I remember thinking like, you know, we were coming in to kind of overturn an industry and a way a pretty gigantic industry worked and being nothing we didn't exist no one certainly no one knew who we were i thought you know we'll be that thing that is tiny but it agitates and you kind of can't ignore it that's kind of the origin story here we are cool <laughs> from taylor ahern does jonathan ever sleep Taylor Ahern. Taylor, shout out to Taylor. He is the photographer behind our very cool cover photo of the guide starring Luke Kappa. He somehow managed to make me look 
decent. Right. Taylor Ahern is so good. Did the impossible. <laughs> He's so good as a photographer. He made Luke Coppa look good. Uh, I love that photo. Everybody kind of loves that photo. So Taylor is our good friend, very good photographer. He's also one of our podcast editors and he's been great to work with. You know, honestly, my life is getting better on the sleep front. Like, so I still work a lot, but it's getting better. And I, I'm really making a point of that. You know, like I, I'm not trying to die or, you know, so anyway, like I, I am actually trying to d get better about the sleep thing, though Taylor being our podcast editor sees in like Google Drive when, <laughs> when, I'm, yeah. when file, files are being uploaded. Uh, and I'm it's, guessing that's where this question yeah, came from. <laughs> it's often quite late, but I, I'm trying. The thing I want to give a shout out to too is, you know who doesn't sleep much at Blister is Justin Bob. And I'm going to be, we need to, we, we have been promising to do a, j bob episode where i think he and i just get really drunk but uh j bob is killing it at life right now and like that guy is just murdering it on all these different fronts and he is a phenomenal father and he is a firefighter and he is a podcast producer and he will be producing this one but my shout out goes to j bob like there's no way that i'm getting less sleep than J-Bob right now. So J-Bob, I hope you get your sleep someday, but shout out to you for the grind you're on right now. Much, much respect. Cool. The Syndicate Ski and Cycle asked, what does it take to get invited to Blister HQ? Anyone is welcome. The only thing we ask is that you send us an email or what contact us somehow before coming, ideally yeah. a few days or a week in advance, just because like, so we don't have someone delivering soap while we're trying yeah. to record a podcast conversation right. or and it like there's usually a lot going on here so happy to welcome anyone show them hq um but like during the ski season get out for some laps occasionally but anyways yeah just give us a heads up i'm gonna reiterate this i don't feel like you said that forcefully enough like please please give us that heads up so if it's like hey i'm here in mount cb can i come by hq this afternoon assume the answer is no there's just a lot on our plates right now but if the more the more advance warning and advance notice you can give us 100 percent happy to uh happy to make it happen but it's really tough when these things are coming in under 24 hours. And so if it's more like a week, even better. But um, yeah, that's the answer. Cool. From InstadanSD, what do I need to do to come work for Blister? Ah, it's a great question. And as I said, I think early on in this episode, this has been something that, you know, I mean, we've actually been working on this for quite a while now, but we are looking, if you saw our newsletter that was went out last Friday. I mean, we, we said like, we are going to try to hire a unicorn here. And, um, yeah, so I guess be a unicorn is, uh, is how you get a job here. But I don't know, we've said this before and, and I don't mean to sound like stupid or redundant about it, but like, I do still think that there's a lot of people who kind of look at the outside of what we do and it looks pretty cool there is just a ton of grinding behind the scenes. And so I think if you are that 
incredibly obsessive person when it comes to details, if you're willing to work and you like that grind, that's why you should maybe think of working here. Because if you're like, oh, it'd be sick. I get to ski a bunch of cool stuff. And then you envision having a ton of time off and shutting it down at 445. Please don't ever apply for a job here. It's just, unfortunately, it's not the space we live in. That sounds lovely. We'd all love that. Mm-hmm. It's just not where we are right now. And however good of a job or however bad of a job we've done, we are trying to keep kicking the bar higher in terms of everything we're doing. And so it's funny, like, you know, I see some companies put out like job calls and it's usually like, come work at this super fun gig and you'll love it. And you get like lunch brought to you and we try to go the other way. We're like, it's going to be hard. You're probably going to get yelled at. Apologies in advance, but it's true. Like, but we are just committed to kicking that bar as high up as we can. And we need people to understand that. And I'm sorry if that sounds weird or bad. Yeah. I was, I was just like randomly talking to Max Smith at moment and he sounds like it's a fairly similar story over there. He said some people were coming to interview the guys at moment and like talking to Luke Jacobson and they like asked him like, so like, do you guys have any like ping pong tables or something? Like where do you have fun? He's like, what do you mean have fun? Like we have work to do. And that's very much how it is. Yeah. We have no ping pong tables here. So if you want that, go work (laughs) at Google or some slacker company, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's hard. We grind. And if you don't, we frankly don't want you. I've said this before too, but our best people are incredibly sharp. They are incredibly detail focused. When someone criticizes them, it's kind of taken as a challenge to level up. I mean, I do this to Luke. Luke does this to me. It's an open, you know, that constructive criticism comes from all different sides. It's not about being like proving to be right or wrong. It's just, can we keep leveling this up somehow? Because the alternative I feel like is you go out of business. And to be honest, well, we've seen some of the going out of business and we're not trying to do that, you know, and I don't, I don't know a different way than be better every single day and improve on every single thing you do. And again, I don't know how successfully we're doing that, but that is the bar. And, um, yeah, so that's why we kind of talk about those unicorns. And when I talk, when I look at a Luke Kappa, you know, when I look at a Paul Forward, when I look at a, you know, Julia Van Ralty from back in the day, a number of our best people, they're incredible. I don't know, just be incredible, make yourself incredible. And that's not natural ability. That's a lot of that is just grind. Was that a good job? I think it pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Do you think we're probably going to get inundated with applications now or yeah i don't i don't want to be like i want two. like if we got two applications from stellar people that would be fantastic and if some people listening are just like maybe that's i want the ping pong table that's awesome maybe i'll come work at that company too i think you'd go crazy playing ping pong yeah it's only one way to find out luke (laughs) tell me where the ping pong tables are i'm pretty sure there's one in elevation or at least there's a oh cornhole game By the way, I almost forgot this actually led as we were talking about the type of person we need to hire to get help in mostly to lighten up your load because Luke only cares about lightening up his load. It's not about lightening up my load, Luke. No, you you chose to start this company. (laughs) (laughs) So 
my favorite part absolutely of the last buyer's guide production when luke's kind of losing it or i'm losing it and we're talking about we're going to get in more help and we were like all right luke what exactly do you think we need in terms of the the person we're looking for and i was like do we just need luke 2.0 you know like no actually you said that you were like we just kind of need to clone me which i actually thought was like the most arrogant sounding thing luke yeah it sounds extremely arrogant yeah but then but then it went even better that he's he said and this is basically a quote he said i'm basically liam neeson <laughs> And he said, I possess a very specific skill set that few people have. And which would be mostly useless in most other jobs, <laughs> to be clear. That's why I'm trying to not sound irritated. So the part I wrote, I immediately wrote this down when this came out of Luke's mouth. Like Luke just compared himself to Liam Neeson in, what was that movie called? Taken. Taken. And uh, I love that. That's perfect. Luke is the Liam Neeson of Blister. We also said that I feel like the the tiny bit of tv i've been watching has been like like ai dystopian stuff and we said like if we could just make ais of ourselves that were smarter and that could do everything 10 times faster but they end up killing us in like 10 years we'd be like sure yeah oh yeah that's right we did say that that's true yeah if we could have the ai robots that basically just took over our work but what was it? They would eventually kill us, I think. How long did we say that we'd be I think okay it ranged, that? like the conversation ranged from like two to 50 years, I think. I think I was like 10 years of just skiing and blisters doing its own thing. But then the robots kill you, you'd yeah. be all right. It's, that'd be a, a good, good time. <laughs> By the way, I do also want to say, when I was talking about our unicorns, like we certainly have others. That was not a comprehensive list um, of the people I named here at Blister. Those were just some examples. I am extremely proud of the people that we have associated with this. And, you know, I think that some of our people too are just, we're still merging them in and kind of evolving and growing their roles. And so for those reasons, they're kind of like, they're like de developing unicorns. They're like unicorns in training, basically. So. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a term like ponies or small horses. Unipony? <laughs> I don't know. Unipony, ponycorn. Even worse. <laughs> From Annalisa Price. Hi, Annalisa. She asked, best plus size outerwear kit on the market, at least based on the product specs. And this is something that's definitely not, there's like, in my experience, not some super clear answer. But I do think one brand that's definitely caught my eye in that regard and that has recently started selling in the US is Jack Wolfskin. They are apparently very big in Europe. Um, and as kind of that bigger brand, they seem to focus more on uh, running larger size runs across a lot of products. And I've only um, only started using some of their stuff briefly last season, and it was a insulated jacket. But especially for the price too, the quality seemed really nice. Um, and we're hoping to review some of their stuff, uh, some, of the, some more of their stuff this season. And then another brand also very new we just literally got one of their pieces the other day but we've been talking to them for a little bit is cortazu i haven't i haven't looked at their whole line but at least for their technical shells they run them through from xl to double x at least um, a lot of companies out there are just ending at single xl but we're going to be testing that basically like starting tomorrow but 
their the hard shell they sent us super burly seems high quality again just based on specs here uses a high-end dermas x i think ev uh membrane so pretty decent waterproofing breathability 350 bucks pretty good deal for that seems like so those are the first two that come to mind um she also asked about system touring bindings which i have no experience with but it seems like a pretty appealing option i've noticed i've been getting more and more questions i think as backcountry skiing expands more people are trying to safely get their kids involved in it and kids have small feet and they don't need high release values. So, I mean, the concept seems great to me. Um, and it, I think it would be cool if more companies would sell demo versions of their AT bindings to the public. Dean, if it's one of the few that does, um, but like we have demo kingpins, um, I think sometimes you can get like a Vipec or a Tecton with like a demo plate on it, but Seems like a decent option, especially if you don't need a eight or nine or 10 or 12 release value. All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to go quicker than that. Maybe we're so bad at trying to do fast answers. It well, is, it is our worst thing. You need context. You do. I'm not going to. I know yeah. I, I'm bad at it too. So this is probably going to be a much longer answer than I'm, you know, saying it's going to be. I don't know how to say this name. Uh, Blakus Remicus. What coffee maker did you decide on after my chat with Cody? It's a great question, Blakus. Here's the answer. Now, I mentioned this in the what we're celebrating component or portion of last week's Gear 30 episode. We're just going to go do a big old deep dive coffee maker rabbit hole on Blister which is funny because when I told Luke this the other day, he he gets mad at me when I say we're going to do new things. Yeah. Yeah, he always gets mad at me. But don't you worry. Don't you worry, dear listeners. I just I just stiff-armed Luke. I pushed him aside, and I'm going to run this football across the goal line. We're going to be doing the, like, coffee deep dive, and it's going to be awesome and glorious. And, like, Luke loves coffee, so he's going to end up benefiting from this. He just gets mad when I say like, hey, Luke, um, we're going to do this new thing. So I'm definitely going to have that Mocha Master or Maca Master. I'm a bit confused on the pronunciation of this thing currently. That is definitely going to be in the mix. But the plan is that a number of coffee makers are going to be into the mix. And um, I'm very, very excited for this development on Blister. So there's going to be a lot more coffee talk coming at you. And I think I'm going to put my $10 Walmart one in there too just to see is how. it really ten dollars it was less than 15 okay. it, i just remember thinking that can't be the right price but it's wor worked for like three years now i think okay anyway great question what do you got you go next week um oh this is an interesting one um we're not going to be able to answer all of it but uh i don't know how to <laughs> k coot phone k coot vone sorry um, I want to know everyone's preferred pole size and some kind of reason for the size they use. Um, we obviously only have us two here, but I usually like poles around 105 to 110. By the traditional scale, you're supposed to like, I think at least, I, I think it's for hiking poles. I don't know about ski poles. Like have them the height where your arms are at a 90 degree angle. Yeah. I don't like that. I like shorter than that. Um, especially cause the only times I really pole plant are in really steep terrain. 
I'm not pole planting on groomers. As you can see in literally every photo of me, <laughs> I'm just dragging them <laughs> and, um, not really using them. Um, so yeah, I like, like 105 ish seems to be the sweet spot. And then extending them like in the back country can, well, one, it's nice for skating out, but also sometimes I'll just grab a pair of giant poles to look really silly. <laughs> yeah. I roll on the shorter pole length, mostly because we somehow tend to end up in some fairly steep kind of moguled out terrain and stuff. And if I'm pole planting in moguled terrain, I don't want some wild long pole. And then I often still do just ski tour with my Scott team issue poles that I love. I am not one of these people who is a hundred percent anti adjustable poles. And so if I happen to be out with an adjustable pole in the backcountry, yeah, I may lengthen it if we're doing a, like a long skate out or something like that. But I don't know if you're skiing steeper mogul terrain, airing on the shorter side, I think makes more sense than going long. Exactly. Yeah. Don't do that. Lay underscore moons baggy or tapered snow pants this year. Baggy. Tapered. End of story. Um, ABCD Ethan asked, when is the light ski touring boot roundup article coming? Um, just talked to Paul forward about this today. Um, he's the one taking the lead on that because he has the most experience. We are thinking about trying to do one, basically an update to an older article he did. Um, but a lot of the boots in that category have been updated. And so we'd like to have him actually ski the new ones. Um, Cause like he'll be able to talk about the atomic backland. Um, he got a Scarpa F1 LT like in the middle of the summer. And then we're trying to get some new options from Dina fit. And then apparently the Solomon XL is discontinued now. So anyways, working on that probably won't be happening super early because we actually want to be able to compare several options when we publish it. Uh, one person wrote, why is Jonathan Ellsworth so friggin' awesome? And you definitely don't know this person at all? Uh, actually, I do. That was Nick go. Center, who was my roommate freshman year in college and is still a good friend of mine. So probably because of my my freshman year of college roommate, I, I would, whatever, whatever level of awesomeness also. Yeah. We actually played football and basketball against each other in high school, actually middle school. Yeah. So I probably, because of you, Nick, all the downsides are my fault. And then any of the good stuff, that's probably you, Nick. RB Romaker. <laughs> I probably misspelled this one. I don't know. Uh, he just says so much gear, so little time and money. How often should you upgrade? I mean, never. Yeah. If you, uh, my viewpoint is like, if you are still having a good time, never, you don't need to buy new gear. Yeah. If it's broken or you know, you hate it time to upgrade yeah. when, uh, financially possible. But in our view, and I think it always has been like buying new for the sake of new is not worth it. It's like, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we have a bunch of old skis around this wall and here that we'll still get on occasionally because some of them are way better than current skis. I mean, funny, right? We've talked about this a bit on the bike side of things. I would actually have to say in that case, if you're, I'm sorry, but like if your bike is two or three or four years old, you can probably go get on something current that will probably feel like a significant upgrade. Yeah, I would say like, three plus years three plus yeah. yeah but 
when it comes to when it comes to your skis or bindings, if you like them, I mean, now if we're, it's like my bindings are 10 years old and I ski a hundred days a year, it's like, okay, you might want to like get those to a shop and bench test them. And they're probably out of, yeah. um, they're out of warranty anyway, but, um, no, like this is one of the things that like our job is to review a bunch of new stuff. But if you found that holy grail and you're totally happy for the love of God stockpile and now beacons like replace them every three years, probably anyway. Yeah. Like don't replace for the sake of replacing unless you're like, I don't like what this ski or this binding or this boot or this apparel is doing. But if you're happy, be happy. Quick note on the, you mentioned beacons. We got a couple of questions about the peeps. Yeah. Um, transceiver, um, controversy that kind of blew up social media recently basically we have an article on the site about it that provides more detail mostly from other people who are much more um kind of in tune to everything that's been going on but basically the peeps dsp sport and the old dsp pro people have noticed a flaw basically on the way the button functions can be accidentally pressed and it will accidentally go from send mode to search mode which is not ideal if you get in an avalanche. And that was likely the case with Nick McNutt. TGR just put out a video about the accident that kind of started this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but basically, look at that article. We go over the details there. And um, episode 119 of the Gear 30 podcast with Cody, he goes into it a little bit on that one from last week, or at this point, it'll be two weeks ago. Um but we think anyone who has those specific two beacons should contact peeps. They will apparently upgrade. It's it's not a recall, which is kind of what we expected, frankly, but they will upgrade you or reach out to the retailer. And sometimes some of the retailers are dealing with that warranty process um, from what I've heard from some folks. But basically, we would not recommend using those two beacons. Yep. Another question Where's Sam Shaheen? Great question. Um, I murdered him. <laughs> Finally, just did it. I just figured that people who've listened to enough Gear Thirty episodes are probably like that makes sense. That checks out. No, um, Sam. One of the things about Sam, and we've known this and talked about this, I think, on certain episodes. Sam, you know, always wanted to work in like the biomedical kind of field long and short he was offered a job in sort of the biomedical i'm going to keep it sort of vague here biomedical devicey field Definitely vague on purpose or not because we have no idea what right no doing. totally and you know honestly i was like i was like okay yeah sam i knew that's what you wanted to do you were looking to do that plus i just assumed he would get fired in like four weeks and then he would be back, but it seems like Sam has not been fired yet, which is mind-blowing to me. And so um, Sam will still be reviewing for us. We still love Sam and, you know, think he is 100% wrong on things a lot of the time. But uh, we still love Sam. He's doing his thing. He will be reviewing for us. And, um, and we definitely should still make a reviewing the reviewer episode happen with Sam. Sam is all good unless his new boss has murdered him. 
for reasons yeah. that are probably very understandable. <laughs> so um, that's the update. But yeah, um, Sam will be back around. Yeah. All right. Isaac dot Salitra, I think I spelled it right. What brand has the best goggle technology? E.g. Prism by Oakley, Photochromatic, etc. Um, I'm planning on doing a, well, one, we're going to be doing a goggle roundup early this season, just going over multiple options. Cause it turns out like a lot of them are really similar, um, which we kind of discuss in our buyer's guide. But in our experience, basically the more you pay, you're likely getting a higher contrast lens. Like Oakley has prism, Smith has chroma pop, uh, Anon has what they're calling now Perceive. Um, Jiro has Vivid. They all have some fancy name for it. But basically, those higher-end spy happy lens, Zeal something, um, (laughs) all of them offer better contrast, especially in either really low-light or really high-light conditions um, than, say, most like under $100 uh, goggles. With that said, personally, I haven't been noticing much of a drastic difference in contrast between those high-end, high-contrast lenses. With that said, I haven't we haven't been able to use uh, Oakley's recent stuff, so that's the main one I want to test. But like from my experience, most of them are quite similar, and I think what's getting really appealing these days is the fact that like from Smith, you can get a squad or squad XL goggle for, I think, I think it's like 140 or $150 with two of their super high end lenses. And the only reason you're paying less is because you have to take a little bit more time to swap lenses. Like the, the nice thing is that in a lot of those more generally more expensive brands, the high end optics, which is what I think matters a lot, trickle down to some of the less expensive options. So that's cool to see, but long story short, I think the more you pay, the better contrast you get, um, especially in the super low light and super bright uh, conditions. Okay. And we'll be saying more about that. We will be saying more about that. DM Sakamoto writes, are we still welcome to the Blister Summit if half of our comments are trying to troll Jonathan? It's debatable. I mean... I don't know, but there there probably is a number, and I don't know what that number is, where we just delete your name from the Blister Summit list. So it's kind of a one of those playing with fire a little bit, but you might be fine. It's hard to say. We don't we don't we don't know. Maybe. Um, well, first off, Derek, I owe you an email. I'm really sorry about the delay on that. It's been a wild year. But on your note about your other questions, this is an interesting one. Bets on what month shops will sell out of backcountry gear. I think I'd be curious to get, did you talk to Bentgate about this? Yeah. Did they bet or make They didn't bet, uh, but like answer sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think especially like the smaller shops that maybe just got a, like they're not usually super backcountry focused, like just got a few setups that they could I think either they're already sold out or they're going to be. Um, I don't think it's going to be as drastic of a difference as the mountain bike industry was this summer, but I would guess that it's going to be very challenging to get backcountry gear 
within a couple weeks of Christmas, probably. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I would not wait. If you need gear, I would not wait. Or look at the, and or look at the used market. Sam Rose Mountain, or I don't know what that handle is. How could someone choose a ski set without trying them? I don't know, but people have been reading our reviews for 10 years now and seemingly doing that okay. But, uh, you know, if you need to get it on your feet first, go do that. Yeah, I would say like there's reading about something is never going to truly replace the actual on snow sensation. But I think like like I grew up in the Midwest I grew and then went to college on in Fort Collins, which was not close to demos and I didn't have a car and I could probably not afford at the time to do demos. So for a lot of people out there, trying skis before they buy them is not an option. And that's like a big part of why we do what we do. Cause we think we can, our, our goal is always to try and just like, be the best replacement for a demo basically. Well, but the only other thing I'd say is we've had a number of this comment come in over the years where people have actually said, and again, this is not to speak for everyone, but the comment has come in a bunch like where we've, we've had people say like your reviews are actually more helpful than demoing because on an actual demo day, one, they have very limited amounts of time on the ski mm-hmm. and it's like one specific condition. So that's actually a, con- again, I'm not trying to go demo skis, like do do your thing. Like, but we've actually seen that for the past 10 years where people are like, your reviews are actually more useful than me taking a few runs on a given day, whatever the conditions happen to be on, on a product that I might be interested in. So that's our answer. Get on skis if you want to get on skis. Jacob Carter Gibb asked, will we ever review the QSDs center mounted like Cody skis them? Deep dive article question mark? No. Uh, I'm not. I'm out. If we didn't have the 192, I would do that for sure. We've got demo bindings on them. I actually don't know if they'll go far enough forward. Four centimeters should be all right. Yeah, you can get them. Um, but is... maybe we can convince Paul forward to scheme center mounted. He'd hate him. Yeah, he'd hate him. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Cody. Per usual, we get a lot of questions about like, are you going to review this ski? Why haven't you reviewed this ski? Why haven't you reviewed this brand? To clarify, first off, this year's extra weird because yeah. we lost three months of our testing season. Yeah. So first, we have a lot of catching up to do on the brands that have, like, we already have their product. Um, So that's an extra weird element of this year. In general, typically, if we've been asked about a ski, we've asked the brand about the ski, and the kind of the ball is kind of in their court. Not always the case, but most of the time, Um, we are not deliberately ignoring your requests. Um, We also can only spend so much time on so many skis, so there is a limit at some point, but anyways, I'm trying to look through these Vishnu wide, potentially, um, they tend to sell out of their skis really quickly. Anyways, stereo skis, interesting brand. I can't, I I feel like I've been in touch with them in the past. Um, their skis look really interesting to me, especially from a touring perspective. So maybe later this season, Rosie center squad, we've had like a million people ask us about this. Hopefully I don't think we should walk through every single ski. This is going to 
now be a new hour of the conversation. And it'll be quicker than whatever you say next. <laughs> Rosy Sender Squad, we will likely get on it later this season. Libtech, working on it. Lithic, definitely going to be in touch with them. Black Crows should be reviewing more. We don't really know. We've tried to get skis from them a decent amount, and hopefully we will be reviewing more. Luke got mad at me because I cut him off. I have been in touch with Stereo Skis. I thought you were going to get mad at me if I was like, yeah, cool, we can review these. Because well, you get mad at me. I would have if you just did it. But what? I would have if you just did it without telling me. Okay. Because I try not to get stuff that we aren't able to review. Because we can't review every ski on the market. I'm sorry. We can't. Let's talk about what we're selling. Are we done? Or do, and uh, did we, we get with that? We're, we, we definitely left off some folks. I'm sorry if we missed you, but we will be doing another one of these in the future. We um, definitely will. So. And we're, we're going to try to be better about at least once a month doing the your questions. And shout out, kudos to all of you. We got some really good ones in and a lot of them and uh, keep them coming. And uh, Luke will try to have better answers for you next time. Yeah, and Jonathan will try and not talk as much. <laughs> um, Luke, what are you celebrating this week? Um, so I had gone pretty much all summer without crashing on my bike. Uh-huh. And that changed <laughs> a week ago, actually exactly a week ago from when we're recording this. Um, I'm just continually amazed by like... Like we, we just spent like so much time talking about like how detail oriented we are and how hard we work, but we still make some really, really dumb decisions. Oh yeah. Um, including taking a 115 travel bike into one of the steepest, loosest and rockiest trails around. And then forgetting to unlock the shock because the last time you rode it was on up a paved road but basically endowed into what is normally a well what is a boulder field and what is normally a ski run and the reason i'm celebrating that is because it could have gone a lot worse and the guy i was riding with blister reader will um thankfully (laughs) literally right before it happened uh like we had both been riding up with knee pads on our ankles and he's like oh, wait, can you hold up? I'm going to put on my knee pads. And I always forget to pull up my knee pads. And so my knees weren't torn up. My legs and my back and my arms were. I'm pretty sure I broke or bruised some ribs, but all in all, could have been worse. And the timing is perfect because like we're, like riding season will still go on until it actually starts snowing. But like, it's not like prime time and skiing is still a month away. And I also had about... (laughs) Yeah, like $2,500 of camera equipment in my pack. This is the first I'm hearing about that part. Yeah, Uh but it was a great test. Um, The Evoc Capture camera hip pack continues to blow me away. Previously, just because of how how well it works as a hip pack for mountain biking, but zero issues with the lenses and camera that were inside. Wow. Yeah. So that test, I mean... Almost Someone's got to do it. <laughs> some, almost had you in the hospital and maybe broke your ribs, but probably not. But that's the that's the kind of crash testing we need. Yeah. So. I don't think I'm going to do much more of it on purpose. I hope you um, don't. Yeah. The funny thing is like, like against like good sense, I still needed to ski on 
Tuesday or Monday, whenever it snowed. <laughs> and that was totally fine. Like didn't hurt at all, but driving is what hurts the most. And like just any sort of pothole, I, maybe it's how my seat, cause it's like the side of my ribs. And like, I think the like, what do you call those muscles on the side? The Intercostals. Sh- sure. <laughs> um, that's what hurts a lot. And it's just like random movements, but all in all, like was wearing a helmet, no head, in- no head injury, just like got the wind knocked out. I mean, scraped, maybe ribs are a little hurt, but yeah, could have been a lot worse. So you're celebrating could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. like where the bar is at yeah. these days. I actually think I did that for one of my, a previous gear 30 episode. It was, I'm celebrating like those crashes when you yeah, actually yeah, get yeah. up and walk away. That's, ser- that is worth reiterating. Like we should yeah. be celebrating those things every single time they happen and like dodge the bullet. So this week for what I am celebrating, we mentioned that in this buyer's guide so far we have detected one typo and i believe that was actually actually a metric thing where it was like a centimeters and millimeters the was swapped side cut and the length got yeah. swapped somehow. so it's like a metric typo not even like a misspelled word and what i would like to celebrate is the fact that if you look at our thank you page in the guide you will notice that copy editor, the copy editor listed is Gene Ellsworth. Now, that is my mother, and God bless her. She has become this trusted, trusted copy editor. And uh, because I'm a terrible person and terrible son, she has done work for us on past guides, and I don't think that I put her name in. And shame on me for that. But, um, She did a lot of heavy lifting this year on the copy edit side, and I'm not going to, I don't think she gets a a mark against for that metric, you know, switch up. No, it wasn't her job to look at specs. It wasn't her job to look at specs. So she basically is throwing like a no hitter. She's done a hell of a job. We're super grateful. We are often sending her things and it's like, can you give this to us? Like with very little advance warning. She loves to talk about how great Luke is. And I'm always like, yeah, whatever. He's all right. But anyway, uh, shout out. Shout out to those mothers who step in, help us out, do a great job. And uh, yeah, so if you uh, if you had noticed a Gene Ellsworth in the back of the buyer's guide, yeah, that's my mom. And, and she did a great job making sure the errors were kept to a minimum in this guide. So thanks, mom. Um, that's it we're gonna get going yeah hour and 36 minutes in I think our work here is done and uh, well it's never done well no we're gonna get back to work but um, Luke great job on the guide definitely proud of this one we're gonna try to bring in some some help more help next year till next year when we do this I don't wanna think about that (laughs) Um, thanks everybody ski season yeah thanks everybody take care and we will talk to you soon well that brings us near to the end of another edition of gear 30 and i think i just want to add one more thing to the what we're celebrating this week you may have heard we've had an election going on and i am really hoping that 
By the time you hear this episode on Friday, I will have been able to already have raised a glass. I'm going with Whistlepig 15 for this one to celebrate the conclusion of an election, the conclusion of an election where we've seen the highest turnout ever. Those are good things. And so far, I also hope I'm going to be able to celebrate the end of a peaceful election cycle. So far, pretty good. And we just need to hang in here to the end. A lot of people came out to vote, to have their voice heard. And for the most part, this has been done in a peaceful way. I hope we get to maintain that track record. And then I will be raising my glass. Hopefully, lots of good things to celebrate this week. And if you are enjoying these Gear 30 conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and, you know, leave us that five-star rating in iTunes and be sure to tell your friends about the show. I also want to say thanks to Lou Kappa for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you both for listening and truly for submitting so many good questions. Until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.